Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Umaru Sanda Amadou with Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. And tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. We have not gone for a bailout. Because we've mismanaged the no, economy. No, we have not gone for a bailout because we've mismanaged the economy. We have gone for a bailout but because... But what do you have? We are going for an IMF program because the twin crisis, first of COVID and now of Ukraine have imposed an unprecedented demand on our fiscal and monetary policies to respond. Nana Kufado's government's chief spokesperson disagrees with assertions that it has run to the IMF due to mismanagement of the economy. Meanwhile, the president is wooing private sector players to help deal with the current challenges being witnessed in the country. And we will get a situation whereby the private sector in our country would be the lead agency, the lead vehicle for the social and economic transformation that we're all looking for. Also, coming up, after serving a warning which was ignored by government for close to a month, teachers in Ghana declare a strike over non-payment of cost of living allowance, also known as COLA. The patience of the teacher is overstretched. Guarantee the reaction of members. If the government does not grant the cola of 20% nah. at the end of June. And later on Eyewitness News, we hear about the looming judgment debt in the petroleum sector involving the GNPC. That's according to a former worker of the Employment Minist- Energy Ministry, I beg your pardon, who is also member of parliament now. For Bongo. Stay with 97.3 CTF and for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business, stakeholders in the business community call on government to implement more measures to improve the ease of doing business in the country ahead of the mid year budget review. That's in 15 minutes with Netili Neti of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Boogly Radio 88.6 in Wa, in the Upper East Region on Word. 88.3 FM in Zwarungu in the northern region on Dasuma 91, 99.9 I beg your pardon, 99.1 FM in Yendi. If you go to the Volta region, we are on Holy FM 98.5 in Aflau. In the eastern region, we are live on Right 90.1 in Sna Somanya. In the Ashanti region, we are live on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Suryani. If you go to the Western region, we are live on Premier 100.5 FM as well as Beach 105.5, both in Takradi. Do send us your reactions to the stories we are bringing you by sending your message to our WhatsApp and Telegram number 0549-986-996. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And it is... A U-tender has shocked many, including some persons who affiliate with the governing New Patriotic Party. It was a policy that was a no-no for the NPP government and indeed 
when the NPP government, which was supervising the administration of the land at the time, moved Ghana away from the IMF, which was entered into by the Eswa Mahama administration, the Minister for Finance, Ken Ofriata, said never again was Ghana going to go back to the IMF. It appears, though, now that he's having to swallow his own words. At least he has not spoken, but the chief government spokesperson has spoken, and he said the president has directed the Minister for Finance to open negotiations with the IMF, and this is because situations have become very dire. At the time when the Mahama administration went to the IMF, the NPP then in opposition had accused it of mismanagement and incompetence. Now that the Akufado government, NPP, has gone to the IMF or planning to go to the IMF, the NDC says it is a sign of incompetence and economic mismanagement. Minister for Information and MP for Farsi Arabic, Ojo Oponkrumah, was on the City Breakfast Show today and he said the two cannot be compared. Listen. We have not gone for a bailout. Because you've mismanaged the no, economy. No, we have not gone for a bailout because we've mismanaged the economy. We have gone for a bailout but because... But because you have. No, because well, all the data indicators from your debt-to-GDP levels, your inflation rate, your deficit rate are worse than they were during Mohammed's time. So what induced them? That's the question we have to ask. So let me give you an answer. We are going for an IMF program because the twin crisis, first of COVID and now of Ukraine, have imposed an unprecedented demand on our fiscal and monetary policies to respond. Mm. But, but, it mm. comes at a time when the buffers that we had built between 2017 and 2019 have been eroded by the very first crisis. Look at the performance of the Ghanaian economy between 2017 and 2019. The Ghanaian economy still had its own peculiar challenges. Nobody can run away from that. But the Ghanaian economy was performing comparatively better year on year between 2017 and 2019 until we were hit in 2020. And when we were hit first in 2020, that's when you saw the first set of major, uh, may I say, macro distortions happening. That's when you saw uh, the rate of debt accumulation going back up. That's when you mm. saw debt-to-GDP ratio, which you just mentioned, going back up. That's when you began to see our debt build up in such a significant manner. Prior to that, yes, debt was building up, but was not building up at the same rate at which you saw in 2020. In 2021, as we started the exercise of recovery, we were hopeful that by the time we were ending that year and commencing a 2022 rebuild, using our own domestic resource mobilization strategies, better managing our debt, uh, trying to rationalize our expenses, we could contain the situation. This domestic strategy is what I'm submitting to you this morning, mm. has... Uh, been challenged. And as a result of this challenge, the president looks at the total picture and says, So you, you, you seriously, I think you you seriously want Ghanaians to believe that the only reason we are going to the IMF is because of COVID-19? No, that's a primary reason. We are going through a conversation. But COVID-19 was, COVID was a global crisis. Yes, it was. Give me a second. I have yeah. in front of me data for Cote d'Ivoire compared to Ghana because Cote d'Ivoire has been a very good example you've used. Indeed, Dr. Mbami, I used Cote d'Ivoire in a recent piece where he said the NDC administration blames Cote d'Ivoire as if the global economic challenges affected only Ghana. Check out Cote d'Ivoire's growth. Look at the time series. The only effect on COVID was minus 1.8 in July 2020. Now, I'll show you the same thing for Ghana. Can I respond to Cote d'Ivoire? Hold on. I'll show you the same thing for Ghana. Look at Ghana. Two 
quarters of negative growth. Yeah. Now let's do inflation. Our inflation, average inflation, code of us inflation is less than 10%. Yeah. Our inflation is near 30%. Now. We can use deficit, even within the period of the same data. All the, even deficits, yeah. growth rates, on every measure, yeah. they do far better than us. Because the Cote d'Ivoire... And I'm using them because, yes. I'm using them because we are similar economies, we are both co- cocoa exporting, even yeah. we have gold, they don't. Yeah. We have more oil than they do. Yes. So they are very comparable economies. Yeah. Well, but what is the GDP of Cote d'Ivoire? What is the uh, reserve position of Cote d'Ivoire? Today, I'm sure you are aware that Cote d'Ivoire has applied for an IMF program. You are aware? We know over 40 countries have applied for IMF programs. Actually, over 100, about 100 countries have applied for it. Cote d'Ivoire that you are citing as an example. Oh, yeah, yeah. With all of these numbers yeah. you are talking about, why have they applied But there are different IMF programs. Well, I'm <laughs> And the basis for applying for the IMF program is... The, so it's not about applying for IMF programs. No, no, programs. no. no. So, so, so check it out. And then let's find out what they have applied for, what Ghana is looking to get. Kenya. With all the macro stability that the Kenyan economy has and the robustness of the Kenyan economy, mm. they have applied for it. Egypt has applied for it. Tunisia has just started the conversations. So we can do the comparatives. But I want to go back to why Ghana has gone. The primary reason, as I've explained to you, mm. is that the twin crisis, as I've explained, and it's a matter that is well known. That's uh, Minister for Information and MP for Fasia, Kojo Ponkruma, speaking to Bernard Avila on the City Breakfast Show. There are lots of other issues that they've touched on. One controversial issue uh, for the past one month or so has been the National Cathedral, which is a priority of priorities for President Nanado Dankwakufado. Since the party or the government announced that it was going to start negotiations with IMF, people began questioning why the cathedral still has to be uh, swallowing the money that it has been swallowing while the country is struggling. Bernard put that question to the minister this morning. Listen to his response. The citizenry must be involved in raising that revenue. The way government is perceived to spend money is very important is as a signal. That is true. Which is why I come to an, an issue like the cathedral. Yeah. How do you justify the amounts you spent on a cathedral at the time we did? This whole cathedral matter, I think, has generated a lot of public um, bruhaha. I have honestly asked for a full brief to understand um, why we paid what at what point in time. So as I sit before you this morning, I don't have a full brief to enable me to uh, speak to that matter. Mm-hmm. Our understanding initially is that um, it was supposed to be put together by the uh, what the churches and the private sector with some seed support from the state. Mm. I don't have a full brief on uh, the details of how that has gone. So I'm not going to go into uh, that matter. The- so that's Kojo Ponkroma, his uh, Minister for Information and MP for Fasir. We Indeed, the full interview will be playing for you. Uh, or more, etc. That we're playing for you on Point Blank, which is some eight, um, at 18:30 GMT. But let's do some analysis now of what he has said. Let's speak to someone who knows the road to IMF very well. His name is Seth Emmanuel Tekpe. He served as Deputy Minister for Finance in the Mills Mahama government and served as Minister for Finance in the Mahama Emisatha government. He's joining us on the line. Honourable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Yeah, good evening to your listeners, and uh, thank you very much, Imari, uh, for giving me the opportunity. We're, great, we're grateful. Um, I was saying that to my listeners that you're an expert at going to the IMF. I'll ask you how you went to the IMF and what you went with. But first of all, must a country go to IMF at a certain stage, considering the number of times we've gone and failed? Yeah, thank you very much. 
a country can go to the IMF as many times as possible as the same way we as individuals and businesses go to our bank. And you may decide to go to a bank, you know, to save. You may decide to go to your bank, you know, to ask for assistance. And as with businesses and uh, <clears throat> individuals, you know, the success lies in you being able to pay, handle your domestic affairs well, so that the bank is not a place you frequent as there is a substitute, you know, for the salary that you earn, which in this case you will get the money that comes with interest. Now, having said that, um, the question you pose, how do we get to the IMF? I'll, in fact, I'll come to that. Yeah. I just wanted to understand more. So when you went, there was a discussion around policy credibility. You didn't go for a loan. Was that co- for a loan. Oh, so you went for a loan. So you, you go the for ECF, a loan. The ECF came with a loan. Then we, what we did was, then, well, let me explain. <clears throat> the ECF came, comes with a loan, which we dedicated to balance of payment support. So the budget support actually came, you know, from the World Bank and others, actually as part of um, support that they were giving to us already, which was enhanced. And one of the primary reasons we went to the IMS was because at the time we had single spine and the difficulties with gas supply from Nigeria. These are the two main reasons. I remember it was against the backdrop of the global financial crisis, which led Nigeria, South Africa, Angola, and some other countries go into recession. We shouldn't forget. We escaped re- recession at a decent 3.6. Then we were exploited for that, you know, for non-performance. As you 3.6% in a crisis, you know, it's not something which, it's something which you cannot. Now, recall also that before we went to the IMF, we had a homegrown policy. And I would ask, urge you to ask your producers to look at our, <clears throat> to look at our, Two documents, the letter of intent which you signed, your intention to to come to assistance, you know, from the fund, and then the memorandum of economic and financial policy, which also contain your policy measures for coming to the fund to do the correction. You will see in those documents an early an early reflection of the homegrown policy which we presented to the nation in our very first budget in 2013. So you will see measures like a sinking fund, stabilization fund, and the rest, which we insisted, must be there because for us, it is what we were hoping to use or we expected to use to stabilize the economy. And we can talk about that later on. The evidence is there. It's quite clear that those instruments were working. I'm looking at your letter of intent. It has uh, six points, which you, you, you wrote at the time. Uh, yeah. You said, the, number three, the economy has come under severe stress due to a combination of unfavorable cocoa and gold production and an ongoing energy crisis, lower exports, and lack of market confidence, and so on. That's number three. Number two, you said considerable progress was made in implementing the envisaged fiscal consolidation. The fiscal deficit was substantially reduced for the first five months of the year compared to the same period last year. Number four four says the MEFP, um, 
describes corrective policies adopted by the government in response to the non-observance of the end April 2015 performance criteria under the ECF uh, for the continuous performance criterion on the central bank financing of the government deficit, and we request a waiver of non-observance for this PC. Number five, you say that, and I'm just reading a few lines. Well, actually, each... what you are, yes, what you are reading is uh, a follow-up after a review. Okay. Because once you begin to talk about non-observance and others, so this was you are already in the program. This was August 17, 2015, to Christine Lagarde, who was MD. No, the when the, yes, you, you have to look at the letter of intent for 2014. The one before. Okay, then, then what I have here is yes, for 2015. Then, okay, let's yes, look at. It's relevant. Okay. It's relevant in the sense that mm-hmm. you know what the point I wanted to make. You know that you, you know, you give an indication of measures. In this case, you know measures where, you know, you had you know, done your consolidation and the measures where you could not meet, you know, the various agreements. You know, you have performance criteria, you have various, you know, things which you, you know, which we normally call the conditionalities. So it's still relevant, yeah. Okay. When you are going to the IMF, <laughs> you must go with a package, right? Yeah. What package did you send at the time? And do you... Homegrown. So this homegrown is what you went to do as Sinchi? The homegrown was our authority. The homegrown had three, let me say, basic elements. It had the corrective budget. It had how to contain the difficulties that we were facing to achieve the corrective measure. And that's how, as I said, when mainly the, <clears throat> the disruption in gas supply from Nigeria, if you recall, which came through a year into even the electioneering campaign, if you remember, it took two and a half years to resolve, you know, which today is being described as domestic, domestic, you know, crisis. It was a domestic crisis. And then we also had a civil spine. But by then, but by the time we did a program, we were on the way to agreeing with Labour, a program for payment of the arrears, if you remember. Um, and then we had the after effects. That's what you describe in the gold and cocoa prices, because the global financial crisis was having an effect, you know, on commodity prices, which is our vulnerable spot as a developing country. If you went to Sinchi and you came up with your own policies, why do you have to carry them to New York? Why don't you implement them here? Yes, we started implementing them. Yeah. Okay, my, my point there, is that why do you have to go to the IMF with your own program that you have I drawn mentioned, up? I mentioned it in my intro. At the time we went to the uh, IMF, we went to the IMF. Um, we were discussing, we were having conversations with the with the fund, but we were thinking about a different type of program. There is one which is called policy support instrument, and the policy support instrument, you know, is that you have your program as we are the homegrown. You don't necessarily ask for money, <clears throat> right? Um, but you reserve the right to do a standby. You know, any time you are in severe crisis, you could then go and get the money, but not on a routine basis. So two things happened. Gold cocoa prices fell, as you indicated. Later on, you know, crude oil, crude oil prices also fell. And when that happens, you know, the first hit is your your foreign reserves, <clears throat> right? So the Bank of Ghana began to bleed. The city was depreciating, right? So that, as I said, when we negotiated, we decided to use the amount as balance of payment support and continue with the reforms that we we're doing with the World Bank, including gifts and the rest, you know, by way of, you know, the budget 
you know, support. And then also the assistance loans for uh, the um, uh, concessional loans and as for the free teachers, you know, the e-schools and the hospitals and the, even though we had loans from other, you know, places. So the second reason, and that is the, the, the issue, say, the, what added to the pressure for us to go was that some of development partners withdrew that budget support and wanted us, you know, to, to, that's a political about to, to be, convince themselves that we could manage go to the IMF, you know, as a precondition. And so if you like, you can take a look at um, the revenue flows, and you will see that by 2015, after we entered the IMF program, grants spiked, and the largest grant in the last 10 years was in 2015. And that was because the funds that were being withheld, particularly by the World Bank, were released. So there were these pressures, you know, which wanted us to go. Okay. But we were we were intent, you know, that we we should start managing, you know, our and <clears throat> we can discuss some of that. Managing our affairs, you know, better. Explain for us in practical terms what going to the IMF entails. The criticism against your government at the time was that because you are the IMF, you could not employ, and that was the cause of the unemployed graduates association of Ghana. If you go to the twenty <clears throat> if you go to the twenty fourteen. If you go to the 2014 uh, MEFP and if they can pull it out for you, you will not see anywhere where we said that we're not going to employ. You will really see. What we said was that we're going to rationalize, you know, uh, the main thing was salary. Uh, you know, we had huge single spine arrears, right? And you need to sort it out. You don't load, you know, the public service, right, which as an establishment. City... Let me say, I always use practical examples. TTFM, right, is one of, among, let's say, the first, you know, five top stations in the country. I believe every journalist would like to work for CTFM. Right? Do you just open your doors in spite of the establishment that you have? Our alternative, which we pushed, was that we believe that for sustained employment, it's not necessarily using the civil service payroll, but we want to do infrastructure. So you can agree or disagree with me that we achieve that to a modest extent or to a great extent with the infrastructure that we build. Terminal 3, Terminal Port Expansion, E-Schools, Cooper Roads, Hospitals, you can dispute with me whether that was a more sustainable. If you build a hospital, you create jobs, you know, for a very long time. Compare that to taking graduates just because they are unemployed. We are not saying that the public service. We pledge that any time there was attrition in the in the public and civil service, we replace because they didn't have a policy. Otherwise, you'd be depriving the public sector itself of the. And when there was growth and the public sector needed to expand to accommodate, we would recruit. But we were changing the paradigm. Those of us who have stayed abroad, our rainy season is a snow season, and we know what happened. Many of us have gone to abroad. Immediately after the rule, you see the salt, the others, the reasoning of rules and the red. And that's, those are the sort of things which were more sustainable, which other countries were doing. So anytime we talk employment, please look at our strategy.
it was to shift to infrastructure as a means of employment. Okay. And then let me get. There are people who have said that now that this government is going to the IMF, things are going to be tighter. So chances are that the taxes on petroleum that we are asking to be removed may even be increased as one. No, but we are not able to. Let me just put a question that you help me. Two, that the E levy may even be tighter than it currently is. Can we take it one after the other? Okay, so I just want to know if going to the IMF will mean a more tighter belt for the taxpayer. Let's take the examples. Your first example was what? Okay, so first example is that. Um, so there's e-levy, there's free SHS, which is the main policies, and then there is the issue of, um, forgive me, I just, I just went blank. But we're yeah. referring to the e-levy and then the, the major policies by the government that these policies may be first of all withdrawn and then the taxes that we have on petroleum, which we are asking to be reduced, may even be increased and the e-levy may also be increased or at least it will remain as it is. Is that typically what the IMF will ask you to do as a government? No, okay, first of all, do you even have the tax? Remember that the petroleum stabilization and pricing levy, which is what the petroleum subsidy and pricing levy, which we put, which we added to the ESLA, is collateralized. So what is the IMF coming to? Is the IMF saying we should should default? That is why we are unable to pay subsidy. You know, let's stop the hype. That's why we are unable to pay subsidy. And that's why, if you look at, you know, tactically, the um, petroleum taxes that were removed under ESLA, they have to do with the margins, the margins which those who are engaged in the industry end as part of the pricing structure. It doesn't talk about the subsidy and the, and the rest. Those are never going to, we are never going to be able to reduce those ones and we are never able to attempt for correction. We collateralized it already. We've collected the money up front. And now we cannot. And remember the ESLA, which now contains that, was to last after three to five years. And it's now going to last ten years. So please, let's get the facts right. Right. E-Levy. E-Levy is already in the budget. 1.4% annually you know, against a deficit of whatever. So what difference is it going to make? If anything, the bank, we have always, under our past, you know, program, all of them, if you can go back to the rolling era, we have had two instruments which we use as temporary taxes, the fiscal stabilization levy or the national stabilization levy, and then the temporary import duty. Are you aware that any time we have imposed them from the rolling era through the Kufo uh, era, to the Mills era and then Mahama era, which, from which we are started removing. It is only the current government that has kept them permanently. And then even in the case of the fiscal stabilization levy, added, you know, a FinSec levy, even in spite of three oil firms that mm. we had. Okay. Right. So I think we should examine the facts. All right. You know, Not carefully. That, that... And when it comes to, sorry, when it comes to free attention, Umaru, let's analyze the situation. Here we are. We are using, I'll give you two questions. Either we are using compensation plus interest. Right, the two, consuming all our revenue. And if it's consuming all our revenue, then it means the free estate SHS is dependent on loan, apart from that already in the compensation. Everything else is dependent on loan. 
On the other hand, there is an equation. I'll urge you to download the Article 5, Article 4 for 2021. There's a one. And then you will see the extensive discussions that have gone on between the government, between the government and the IMF already as part of that. Article. Why did it take one year for that to be published? But the point about, you know, the second point I want to make about fair teachers is that, on the other hand, if you use all your tax revenues, and it's in the, it's in the Article 4, which I'm talking for, 2021, how is the compensation, sorry, the interest plus principal, which we call debt service, is taking 129% of total revenue. 129% of total revenue. In other words, those two items exhaust all revenue, including GRE revenue. And we still need 29% of, you know, the loans that we have taken. Now, when, if, and therefore, if you do not want to default, it means that you are going to take loans first to finish off the 29%. What else is left for free teachers? It's loans. So we should ask ourselves, and these are in the document, we should ask ourselves, you know, you never see this in our budget. It's in the Article 4. So when the fund comes, it's not the fund. The fund is telling us for the first time. Ask ourselves, are we going to maintain free SHS on loan, including the past loans, the $2.2 billion of the 2018 bonds that we did, which we used to pay free SHS? Is this a sustainable program? Okay. We have a Minister of Finance, your successor, who has from day one been opposed to going to the IMF. His posturing is clearly anti-IMF, and he has said that as recently as two months ago. The president has directed him to open negotiations with the IMF. What do you think is going to happen? No, the question is, what was the alternative? You remember, I started by saying a precarious position. Fund, the Central Bank for Developing Countries, that way, right? When, when the government said categorically that we were not going to the IMF, my question was always refrained. I didn't talk to you, but I remember I spoke to, you know, uh, Bernard and others, and I said, then what is the alternative? Give us the alternative. At the time we said we wanted to have, you know, uh, control of our affairs, we had a homegrown policy. Is it the budget? The markets have pronounced on the budget already. They downgraded it straight away. So, so in your view, there's no option. So, in your view, there's no option really. But my question is, is he the right guy to lead the negotiation, considering his personal position on the matter? I leave that to the government. Then I leave that to the assessment that was given by my my boss, my former boss already. You know, so I don't have to deliver the point. You know, so I leave that to the government to decide. Does the, IMF, does the IMF, based on your dealings and workings with it, consider conversations that have been had outside official communication? The IMF is an official organization. So it you would... Speak, I mean, in the course of talking like any organization, you may speak certain things of record and whatever, but ultimately, the bulk of work done is formal. And let me read, Let me, if, if you permit me, you know, if you permit me, please, let me just, uh, I hope you have just a minute, you know, to spare for me to tell you the sort of things which, you know, we are going to be, uh, seen to be discussing. You know, and I'm reading from official documents. So you see how official, you know, this, um, what you are saying, you know, and this is something, and I'm reading it because this is something we have been discussing ourselves, you know, already. 
Um, have you found what you want to pick? Yes, I found it. Okay. So, now it says, paragraph 35. Sorry, what are you reading? What, what, what are you reading? I'm, I'm reading the article 4, 2021, the document I was referring to. Please go ahead. Yes, please, please go ahead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It says, expanding the coverage of government debt statistics would provide a better understanding of debt vulnerability. The government's headline measure for debt, and they made the same observation for arrears, exclude liabilities that pertain to the central government, including ESLA debt. Remember, we had ESLA flows, we collateralized it. So now debt, you know, should be added. It's excluded. Education, that is debt fund stroke DACI, is excluded in the calculation that me and you know, and extra budgetary funds, such as Sino-Hydro, and which are included in staff definition of public debt. All these are excluded, including the cathedral, as we are beginning to, you know, to understand. Right? So this is what the discussion, and this is the response of the authorities, which is our government. You know, it is saying... You know that um, the authorities stress the non-inclusion of expenditure arrears in the 2020 fiscal deficit, noting that these arrears were yet to be audited. Since when did auditing become a criteria? What we know about our budget system is that immediately you, as you spend, you must account for it. The audit comes later. If you are uncertain about an expenditure. Then instead of the external auditor, the internal auditor comes and does a pre-audit. Is that what is done in city? These are the physical reasons okay. which we are given, right? So I'm saying that let us expect, you know, there are things which this document is telling us. And it's in the INF which is coming to impose. The reason we've been doing, I was on your, on your, either on your show or, you know, one of your uh, shows, talking about the danger in putting bailout costs below the line and not accounting and giving the impression okay. that we were doing well. Okay. It's caught up with it. We need to end now. But Those are the issues we have to go and discuss. We need to end now, but I just have one last hypothetical <clears throat> question for you. If you were Ken Oforiata, would you lead the government delegation to the IMF in Washington, D.C.? If my boss asks me to lead, I'll lead. Even if you don't agree on principle? Well, disagreement of principle, you know, when you're in cabinet, you bow to the to the decision of cabinet. There's nothing that says that you shouldn't, you know, expand dissent. Then when the when the situation is clear, and as I told you, we were convinced in the beginning, and I was very adamant and clear that we could manage on our own. But when the reality is certain, when the World Bank withdraws budget support, you have, you have to go. That, of course, it's not a practical thing to do. You have to go. So, persons who are asking for his resignation, you do not agree with? As I said, my boss has asked for, you know, for the president to take action. Remember, he, even he said the president should take action. Even though he was very firm about it. Ultimately, it's the prerogative of the president. Former president, Ma- president Mahama is no more your boss. Though. I want to hear your personal opinion now. Once a boss, always a boss. <laughs> Have a good evening, Numo. Uh, that's the Honorable Seth Emanuel <laughs> Tekbe, uh, former Minister for Finance, served also as Deputy Minister of Finance. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. When we come back, 
The teacher unions are asking for COLA, that's cost of living allowance, in the, in, in following all the issues we've been discussing around the economy. Uh, the government has not responded, so they've decided to embark on a strike. We'll tell you more. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. As we're discussing the IMF, the president has his attention somewhere else that is supposed to ultimately help deal with the economy. Eno, please tell us a story. President Akufuado is courting the support of the private sector to help revive the Ghanaian economy. Nana Akufuado says government cannot continue to rely on donor support. Speaking at a meeting with businessmen and captains of industry days after announcing plans to seek help from the IMF, President Akufuado says the private sector holds the key to Ghana's socio-economic development. Do anything seriously if you're not guided by history and examples. The countries like ours rural, agrarian, primary, produce, exporting, producing and exporting countries that transform themselves from low productivity economies to high productivity economies, transformed economies. The examples that of that that we have seen in our period of history, the 20th century essentially, have all been the countries where the private sector has been the dominant force in economic growth and development. We have the examples, Japan, Korea, the so-called Asian Tigers, all these names that are now part of the common vocabulary of all of us are the names of people who died Toyota, Marubeni, they're all the names of people, of the people who founded these enterprises and that have now become worldwide uh, entities. You heard President Akufuado. And talking about IMF, the University Teachers Association of Ghana, UTAG, has issued a statement. It's a statement that has been signed by its president, national president, as Professor Solomon Nunu, and National Secretary Dr. Saria Santi Ano. Let me read a few of the points that have been raised in there. And UTAC says, as a labor union that trains and produces the nation's workforce, including those involved in uh, with providing the requisite policies for economic growth and development in the country, UTAC would have preferred government to seek homegrown solutions to our economic woes. This is premised on our recent unpleasant history of previous engagements with IMF, we thus feel uneasy with the government's decision given its potential negative impact on UTAG members and by extension public sector workers and its repercussion on the operations of public universities. As an association whose members include some of the best and world-class experts across all sectors of our economy, we think that the time has come to comprehensively diagnose the root causes of the recurring problems that always lead us to the IMF and profile solutions that can pre- permanently address the problems for inclusive and sustainable development in our country. UTAC believes we need homegrown policies developed by home-based experts and implemented by home-based practitioners. We urge the president and government to take advantage of the opportunity of going to IMF this time round to make 
use of local experts to support the development of comprehensive programs that will form the basis of all engagement uh, with the IMF. Let's hear more from Professor Solomon uh, Nunu, he's National President of the University Teachers Association of Ghana. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Often when we hear from teachers, you're talking about a strike because of what you can describe as personal interest. Now, you seem to be bothered with the IMF, and you're even asking that the government doesn't go at all. Is that what you're saying? Or you're saying that this should be the last time? Yes, we believe that we found ourselves in a position that uh, IMF is inevitable, and you see that um, we've seen uh, persons within society have been cautioning that we may have to go and try to put the economy back on track. So basically, we are cautioning government that we need to uh, prefer solutions that can stand the test of time because you see from our write-up that we say that it's like on the average every five years, um, government goes to the IMF to look for some sort of um, support in order to uh, take care of our budget. So we are at the point where it's important that we find solutions that can take a lifetime. So that is what we are looking at at this moment. And we believe that we have the expertise to help us to address these concerns once and for all. Your statement keeps hammering on the people you have trained, people you've described as experts who should be able to solve this problem. These people are the ones running the country, and yet we've gone to the IMF for 17 times. That is failure on your part. Um, That cannot be said to be failure on our part. It's one thing for me to train you, and it's another thing for you to practice what I've trained you to do. But we believe that we have the people to make sure that these things are well done. So it is something that we need to get done. We can put the economy back on track and then we stop the blame game. I believe once we do that, we'll be able to find solutions. Could it not be that we don't really have anybody locally who can deal with this matter? That's why we repeatedly go to the IMF? Um, Over the years, what happens is that we go to the IMF and then IMF will come back and then contract local persons to find solutions to our problems. I believe that the IMF as a multilateral institution, like going to the bank for a loan, the bank manager is interested in giving you the loan, not solve your problem permanently because the more you come for the loan, the better for him because he can then be able to get his interest to finance his other activities. We believe that we can find a lasting solution to this problem. Yes, getting a loan per se is not a bad thing, but what are you doing with the money that you are picking? That is the point we are making at this point. Now, the government is already going, um, that, that is for sure. Of course, they are going to start meetings on Wednesday, we are told, which means this your advice will be belated, but I'm sure they would have listened. Your colleagues in other teacher unions are asking for cost of living allowance, COLA. Is that something you're going to join yourselves to, or you do not think is the right time? Um, the thing is that it's something that you tag as a union associated itself with, because, um, you look at it, cost of living allowance. Why have we gotten to this point? As we talk today, petrol is selling for over 11 cities um, at the pump, and diesel is over 13 cities at the pump. So you see that the cost of living has gone up. So they have every right to make that statement. You remember at the beginning of the year, Utah was at arms with government. We went on strike and had to find solutions to our problems as well. Yes, we couldn't solve it as we expected it to be. But I think calling for a cost of living allowance to cushion workers or public sector workers, teachers in particular at this time, it is not a wrong call. They are doing the right thing. 
And I believe it's important that we listen to them and then help them find a solution to this. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Prof. Thank you very much, Sander. That's Professor Solomon Nuno. He's National President of the University Teachers Association of Ghana. Thomas Musa is the President of the Ghana National Association of Teachers. M- Mr. Musa, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Good evening, Moon, Sander, and all your listeners. Good, e- good evening. It's Umaru. It's Umaru. Good evening. Ah, okay, I'm Thomas Musa, General Secretary, not President. Apologies, I was just hoping, I was promoting you. I'm sure this is uh, me looking into the crystal, but I wish you all the best. <laughs> Thank you very much. Last week, I think we had a chat, and you said to me that you were going to have a meeting and decide afterwards to tell us what your decision is, and that has to do with the cola. You had given the government up to the end of June. I had asked you at the time if you had heard anything from the government. You said no. Have you heard anything from the government since we last spoke about this, your demand for cola? Not yet. Is it that you you don't meet anybody when you go to their office or you don't go to the office or they are dodging you? What's the situation? Oh, but let me put it on record that uh, last week Friday, a letter came from the Ministry of Employment. Uh, a letter came from the Ministry of Employment, but before the letter came, you know, the decisions and all those things that will go to get all these things done and gotten about 90% done. So today, the, the consensus was that we've come far. We've been discussing amongst ourselves and having, look, having examined all the options, which has to do with the wage opener clause. You know, as far back as 2021, 2021, you know, normally when you go for negotiation, there is something we call wage opener clause. And that clause is there to ensure that it's like a safety net. So that any time that one party is in some kind of difficulty, you can easily trigger that particular clause. But in 2021, we didn't do it. And then we came in 2022. Also, we went in for 7% reluctantly. But given the current economic conditions combining the 2021 and 2022, we've realized that if nothing is done, the worker will certainly, will certainly not be able to survive. And therefore, instead of going to trigger the, op- the wage opener clause, which will then have the implications of having all the items that come with salary, we decided to go with the, uh, with the, the, the cost of living allowance, which is cooler, because that one is a one-time payment and that will, will not involve things like SNEAT and all those things. Or yes, other uh, payments or other regulations we do not include them. So going for the cost of living allowance is cheaper than going for going to trigger the uh, the wage opener clause. So we believe that we are here because of the current difficulties workers are going through, okay. and we think that going to treat, I mean, going for the cost of living allowance is the best way to go. What did the letter that came to you say? Oh, it has to do with asking us to come over for a discussion. But remember... Did, did they give you a date and time for this discussion? Yes, yes, yes. They gave the, in fact, the, the, the first the letter. I was, I was not around. I had a call that uh, there is a letter. And only when I came, I realized that. But the letter was saying that we should come. You know, we had them. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm saying that. When, when did the letter... Which date did the letter give you? So I think we made, we had an investment forum when the deputy minister came. So I think the letter came on Friday or so. 
And I think the letter came on Friday or so, calling for them. I think the, the first one said we should meet on Friday. At that time, I was not in town. But later, I also had, uh, when I came back today, we saw the other one asking that we should uh, uh, um, we meet. They want to meet at this particular week. But the issue is this. At that time, the decision and everything has been taken already. Don't forget. But that would mean that the decision has been taken in bad faith. If your reason for... It is not in bad faith. If, if, if your reason I'm for coming, going on I'm strike... Coming. Just a second, sir. If, if you've, yes. you've been speaking, you've been sending you know, threats, quote and unquote, to government which threats have not been heeded and now you are about to declare a strike and the government says, hold on, give us a moment, let's sit down and talk. You should have at least afforded that opportunity. So I, I think it will be very important for you also to listen to us. Look, as of the time that the letter came, the declaration and everything was done. This thing should have been done on Friday. I told you when we spoke. I remember you indicated to me that the other, and I said that we are already in fact, this should have been done on Friday. And today we got it done. The letter has been seen. No problem. We will go and we will respond to those calls. But like we are saying, we have not been, this is not the first time that we've been here. We have been here on several locations where letters will be written. There will be no response. And when things are getting out of hand, then you will see calls like this all in an attempt to water down the issues among other related matters. And looking at what is happening, and I think it's important that I mention three things here. Number one, don't let us forget that the Ghanaian worker is the least paid in the sub-region. Number two, the money you take has a corresponding or direct, directly related to how much you take when you are going on pension. And the current pension payment that workers take, I tell you, it is nothing to write home about. And no wonder we didn't organize it, but we normally call it Kufuko Pension. So these are the challenges confronting the Ghanaian worker. And we started talking about this call. I think you were at the May Day. You were at the May Day when the Secretary General in the person of Dr. Yaoban made these things clear. So we have been talking about these things not today. Okay. Yes. So that is where we are. So please, sometimes when uh, issues come up like this, please let us also sympathize with the worker. Know yes. the situation it- of the worker. Know the difficulties. Now the worker has found him of a certain Mr. Musa, we, we understand you're, you're no, not the, no, you are not the only one suffering. Don't worry. No, uh, no, let me stress. Let me, no, it's important that I stress this thing so that you appreciate where we are coming. Please don't forget, we are talking about human security. Mr. Musa, I get you. Just, just one last question. Much. Just one last yes. question. Okay. So this strike of yours, um, is, is there a timeline to it or is it indefinite? Oh, you know what we are asking for. That is all. When it is done, we will get it done. So until they pay, you are not going back to the classrooms. Exactly. We need to get it done. Thank you for speaking to us. God bless you. God bless you too. Thomas Musa, National Secretary, Ghana National Association of Teachers. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Netili Neti is in studio with the latest in the world of business. But before then, there's a looming uh, judgment debt. At least that's not my word, but the word of a member of parliament. And who has a story? Member of Parliament for Bongo, Edward Bauer, is warning of a looming judgment debt due to the decision of the GNPC in relation to the decommissioning of the salt pond oil fields. According to him, the new CEO of GNPC's 
decision to engage a project consultant when the previous CEO signed off an arrangement for in-house professionals to conduct the project consultancy at no cost is the cause of the potential judgment debt. Speaking to City News, Edward Barr indicated that the Mines and Energy Committee of the House will probe the issues further during the approval process for the GNPC's work program. In April this year, you, you had a station where Dr. Kiki Sapon leaves office and a new person comes, that's uh, uh, Opoku Dangwa. He comes in who indeed was the deputy CEO of GNPC in charge of technical operations and therefore would have been aware of all these arrangements that in, in, they had in-house capacity to manage the project. He comes and he decides to um, do a U-turn. And what does he do? He decides that he's going to outsource that money, uh, that, that job, to an outside consultant. At a fee that is now, because at the time they were doing it, this was around 2020, 2021. Now the fee will be way above $5 million for a job that staff of GMPC can perform. And so that is one of the reasons why we say that this cannot happen. Particularly in a time when we have so many challenges, you cannot be throwing up money when you have paid workers who are capable of doing and have actually expressed their willingness to do, and they have actually done about 70% of it. You heard the Member of Parliament for Bungo, Edward Bauer. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. A bank that supports you. A bank that cares for you. Hand in hand, we stand with you. So lift your head up, big dreams are waiting. We'll walk with you wherever you go. Where all your dreams come alive, to be dream, we make you smile. We will rise with you. Sorry to interrupt this program for a breaking news story. Information reaching us is that the whole country has been thrown into a state of joy and excitement about the new look of Total Energy's lubricants. Our correspondent Kwame Usu is standing by to bring us the very latest developments. Kwame, what exactly is the situation where you are? <laughs> Emmanuel, I must say there's a huge crowd here with divers and customers extremely excited about the new Total Energy's lubricants bottle. I have with me here one of the divers. Hello, boss. Yes, sir. You are live on Quart 202.1 FM. Tell us the reason for your joy. My name is War War, and for 10 years, I use only Total Energy's lubricants for efficiency and performance of my car engine. With a new bottle, it's easier to read, carry, and pour. New bottle design and color, new label, new cap, and security features with a QR code. Massa is the same superior oil quality. Challenge, this is performance at their side. So you heard it right. Total Energy's lubricants bottle have been entirely redesigned into a modern and premium pack to give you the best experience. Reporting live from the capital, this is Kwame Usu. Courts, keep your engine younger for longer. 
Hi there, I'm Asantawa. Welcome to Unique Insurance. Let me introduce something interesting to you. As a Unique Insurance motor policy holder, you qualify for a free breakdown towing service. Unique Insurance tows your vehicle at no cost to you, regardless of the type of vehicle and location. We relieve you from the bedding of securing a towing service, and it's all for free. All you need to do is have an active motor policy with us. Terms and conditions apply. Drive happy, we gotcha. Call, text, WhatsApp me on 05 Zero one five six nine four three three or zero five zero one five five zero three seven one for further details on how to enjoy this unrivaled service. Brakes may fail, our insurance doesn't. Unique insurance where your needs come first. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Linetti. Let's settle for the details. The Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta, has reiterated calls for the speedy passage of the tax exemptions bill ahead of the Mid-Year Budget Review on the 13th of July, 2022. The presentation of the Mid-Year Budget Review by the Minister of Finance comes as Ghana prepares to seek some economic assistance from the International Monetary Fund. Speaking in an interview, City Business News President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obeng, highlighted the need for some taxes to also be, be reviewed. There are two main issues that um, we've been talking about in order to expand the task net to give us some respite and the tax exemption policy. We find it difficult to understand why they are still not being able to revise the tax exemption policy. It is not helping anybody, including the government. We, uh, we need tax exemption to grow, and the tax exemption policy has not helped. If anything, it has not helped to create employment. This um, tax exemption is going to foreign direct investment, and what do we have to show? If even we say that we have foreign direct investment, it does not reflect on em- employment creation. And then we give all our resources also to them by way of tax exemption and all that. that uh, it needs to be looked at as soon as possible, especially in the week of the IMF program that we are going. We have to make sure that... Um, and those um, areas are looked at. I, I, I don't understand why they couldn't pass it and that it has been removed from uh, Parliament, withdrawn from Parliament. Uh, they should re- rethink through and then uh, pass it as early as possible. That was the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Dr. Joseph Obeng. Still on the Media Budget Review, Importers and Exporters Association is urging government to implement more measures to improve the ease of doing business in the country. Samson Asaki Awingobet is the executive secretary of the association and has been speaking to Central Business News. Maybe perhaps what government can, will, will be able to do to help uh, improve the ease of doing businesses in the country which will go a long way to improve the business community being given some leverage. Uh, as we speak now, taxes upon taxes are compounded on the business community, especially the importers in this country. And so this media budget review, we rather want to see uh, a reduction of the tariff that ought to go off in our books, i.e. the 2% special levy that has concurrently running through but for the past six, seven years now that the government is being in government, when they're supposed to go up in 2017, which they asked for an extension. Not because they are going to IMF, as the government announced the IMF policy, 
to have any untold <coughs> uh, uh being bestowed on the business community again. We are looking forward to rather see a reduction of access. We are rather seeing a policy that will make the business community flourish and not this point in time to hear any additional layer of taxes or whatever on the business community. We do not want to hear that. That was the Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association, Samson Asaki Awingobit. Government's decision to go to the International Monetary Fund for a bailout does not suggest that the electronic transfer levy has failed and should be scrapped. This is according to the Minister of Information, Kojuopo Nkrumah. According to him, the tax, just like any other revenue generation measure, will need to be given time to be wildly accepted. Speaking to Bernard Avli on the City Breakfast Show earlier today, the Information Minister explained that government had to take immediate action of going to the IMF to alleviate the suffering of Ghanaians while the homegrown solution gains momentum. Whenever you introduce a revenue measure, it takes a while for it to hit its optimal level. More so with the e-levy where, one, right from day one, you acknowledge that you have loopholes that need to be plucked from about the 1st of July. I think that was a clear announcement that was made right from the very beginning. So you were not expecting that it was going to ramp up everything that was due in the shortest possible time. Number two, e-levy has been heavily bastardized right from the very beginning. So a lot of people are finding ways of also evading it. You put all of those together, and though on paper you are confident that this is a good instrument, like Professor Adai said, to mobilize a domestic resources, you put all of that together, and the reality is that you are not, in these first two months, getting as much as you desire. You're going to have to give it room to get to optimal level. You're going to have to plug some of the loopholes with the GRA I started working on so that you can get the full value of what you are looking for. But you cannot wait that until you have that done, you are closing all other windows because there are pressures and expectations that are building. We have obligations down the line, and we need to prepare for it. Kojo Nkrumah further assured that the government will negotiate to protect the best interests of the public when it meets with a team from the International Monetary Fund on Wednesday. If push comes to shove and you have to consider which ones you may not be able to go forward with, all of that is fair to consider. It's early days. We are now going into these negotiations. It may not be wise to start drawing the line down that, no, this one will not be affected. That one. But I think we must go into it with the mindset that the administration is minded to, as much as possible, protect what matters to the Ghanaian people. A lot of people are worried that what matters to them, public sector employment, you know, some of the programs like the Free Senior High School program, uh, will be truncated. I think if the evidence of the recent past is anything to go by, we are minded to negotiate in a manner that seeks to protect what is in the best interest of the Ghanaian people. The programs that will ensure that people get jobs, people get incomes, they can improve their quality of life as much as possible. They can get relief from the pressures that Russia, Ukraine, COVID, and the challenges to our domestic program are imposing on us. Mm. That is the framework, the mindset with which we are going into uh, these negotiations. That was the Minister of Information, Kuju Opong Nkrumah. The Ghana Chamber of Mines has bemoaned the gradual increase in the smuggling of gold exports within the small-scale mining sector. Recent data from the Chamber shows that total production from small-scale producers declined from 1.18 million ounces in 2020 to 98,000 million to 98,000 ounces in 2021, representing a fall of 92%. This fall, which the Chamber attributes to the imposition of the 1.5% withholding tax on gold exports, 
from the small-scale sector also led to a reduction in official gold exports. Speaking during a media briefing in Accra, CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Mines, Suleiman Ukoni, noted that the situation must be addressed urgently. Do too well as a country, but then you have to look into the segments of production. So you have large scale mining, and then you also have small scale mining. Within the large scale mining um, segments, the drop was about 4.4%. Um, the, the worrying one had to do with the other segment, which is small scale mining, and um, we're not too sure whether indeed it's a reflection of actually what is happening on the ground because to have more than 90% drop in production of frequency is that. Uh, it's a worrying situation for the country. That certainly accounted for the drop in the standing of, of Ghana as one of the major producers of gold in the world. In terms of how well they, they actually produce, uh, producing responsibly and sustainably, we, we need a full package of other small-scale miners so that we can get into our own. We want to be in the league. Um, hopefully within within the, the shortest possible time we should be able to gain that enviable position as the number one gold producer um, in, in, in Africa. I think it's, it's dear to the hearts of the chamber. That was the chief executive officer of the Ghana Chamber of Mines, Suleiman Kone. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Natalie Netty. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. It's 20 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we'll talk about the IMF. Before I bring you the interview that uh, Bernard had with the Minister for Information, let me read for you a statement issued by the Finance Ministry, which is dated today, 4th July, and it says, Government commencing engagement with the International Monetary Fund, IMF. It's a statement issued, and it says, Subsequent to the directive by the President of the Republic of Ghana, His Excellency Nana Adodan Kwakufadu, the Ministry of Finance hereby announces the commencement of engagement with the International Monetary Fund, IMF, or the Fund to Support Ghana's Economic Program. Pursuant to this, a delegation from the Fund is scheduled to arrive in Accra on Tuesday, 5th July 2022, to commence in-person meetings with the Government of Ghana on Wednesday, 6th July 2022. The Ministry further takes this opportunity to assure Ghanaians of the Government's commitment to successfully negotiating a program with the IMF in the coming months in support of Ghana's economic recovery and issued by the Public Relations Unit of the Ministry of Finance. So this morning, the Minister for Information, Kojo Ponkrumah, was on the City Breakfast Show to explain why the government took the decision that it took to go to the IMF. He spoke to Bernard Avila. Let's listen to him. Ghana mm. has one of the lowest tax-to-GDP ratios in the West African subregion. 
if we are comparing the ability of other governments to respond to some of the challenges you've spoken about, inflation, mm. fuel pricing, etc., the ability to respond is primarily, primarily through their fiscal program. Mm -hmm. So you have countries in which, uh, through their fiscal program, they mm. can lend a helping hand. Mm -hmm. We live in a country where tax-to-GDP ratio is what? Um, somewhere around 12% thereabout. OECD countries are supposed to be doing about 25%. Mm -hmm. It's not that the GDP is not being produced. Mm -hmm. It is being produced, but how much of it comes back to the national kitty or to the treasury to enable the administration of the day, be it NDC, MPP, PPP, whoever, respond to some of these concerns. Two, if you take something like inflation, the inflation that we're experiencing currently mm -hmm. is a pass-through of about three things. One, deregulation policy, which is therefore ensuring that the crude oil prices on the world market are literally translating into mm -hmm. uh, what you are seeing on the Ghanaian market. Last mm -hmm. week, uh, Monday, when we started the engagements, we met market women, we met transport operators. And they started off by arguing that, listen, if I go to Doma Hinkro, Burkina Faso, and buy tomatoes, mm. and it costs me X to transport it, Y to load it, Z to uh, unload it, I've, I've got to pass all of that on because it's a deregulated market I'm running. The fuel operators say if fuel price was $74 per barrel mm. in December last year, and it is $133 per barrel mm -hmm. at the end of, I think, March or April or so, literally doubled, they will also have to pass it through. Unless, the first point you raised, the fiscal situation is such that a government can dip into it and provide some reliefs. You were talking this morning about the fact that while we were all expecting prices to perhaps come down a little bit uh, from this weekend into this week, they've actually gone up. When I check from the um, National Petroleum Authority, mm -hmm. they say the three margins that were um, suspended, the only one that has been brought back is the UPPF margin. What is the UPPF margin? It's the um, Unified Petroleum Pricing Fund margin. Mm -hmm. What is that uh, fund? That fund is the fund that ensures that when somebody buys fuel in Buipe, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the price is not different from if he buys it at Tema mm -hmm. because the transporters may add their own prices to it if you don't have a way of having a fund that pays them. Mm -hmm. In the three months that it was suspended, every month we lost 40 million, mm -hmm. 40 million Ghana cities. Multiply by three, that's about what? About um, uh, 120? About 120 million. And so when the three month comes to an end, unless it is reviewed, um, MPA is working with its uh, instructions. So fuel pricing on the Ghanaian market is gonna because of the type of deregulated policy you are operating. You want to check some of the other countries you are raising as um, comparatives. Mm. What is the policy they are operating? So not 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 just a question of what is their fiscal mm -hmm. um, uh, framework that allows them to intervene, but also what is the policy that they but are could operating. You hold on with that point. Which you is, are which talking. Is, hold on. Ghanaians are legitimately unhappy because you are running a deregulated system. It means at the end of the day we pay. Okay, you according to finance minister, got about 18 billion during the COVID period from whether it's all the IMFs, 1 billion or whatever amount. You raised about 18 billion CDs to support COVID. You are passing through fuel prices to us. You are not increasing our salaries. Inflation is eating away our salaries. So, and my, my point, my pushback to you is that this is clearly 
your fault. No, you raised three issues first. Fiscal situation, then you talked about fuel, then you talked about 30% inflation. Yeah. I want to land on the 30% and then I'll come to this uh, new question you have added to it. The 30% inflation, check what the Ghana Statistical Service is saying is causing it. It is primarily the effect of this fuel pricing matter that we have spoken about, which is now affecting transportation prices, which is affecting everything. Which your policy has caused it is the national policy we've been operating. Unless you, Bernard, are telling me that we should now move from a deregulated fuel system into a regulated but one. But there, there are seven tax components you can do something about. What is the total tax? Probably 24%. And therefore, if you compare that to a 100% increase in fuel prices, if you took away all the taxes today, because even the example of the margins that were taken away, just now extrapolate it. If you took away all the taxes today... Will the price of petroleum products on the market necessarily come down? The answer yes. is no. It will be much lower than it is. It, well, of course, it will be. No, no. It will be. It will be. No. It will be lower than it is. Yes. But it will be higher than when it was at seventy-four percent. Yes. But people now but, but, that is the benefit. Of coming, if I may land, if I may land with my answer, if twenty-four percent of tax build up is, I'm just making a point. If twenty-four percent of tax build up is, I know. But let me respond to the question you have asked. No, because you are putting something to me. No, but let me respond to the question you have asked. Let me respond to the question you have asked. It's a cost-benefit analysis. On one breath, if you take away, let's say, the taxes on it, which you are saying is 24%. If you mm -hmm. take it away, mm -hmm. the benefit that the average Ghanaian is expecting is that at least fuel prices will be halted where they are or will not go up any further. Relief. The reality on the market, and mm -hmm. by the way, that suggestion is still, uh, may I say, at large. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, what, uh, this weekend coming up to look at uh, the consequential mm -hmm. measures that will go into mm -hmm. media. So I'm not saying it cannot happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying the analysis so far is that the benefit you are expecting, mm -hmm. which is perhaps a halt uh, in the further escalation of fuel prices, as compared to the cost, mm -hmm. What is the cost if you take away these taxes? Already mm. today you are in a scenario where the little that is coming into the treasury is not able to meet the expenditure commitments that as a country we have. Last night I was talking to uh, national service persons, mm -hmm. some of who are saying that our allowances have delayed. Mm. I was talking to uh, who, uh, teachers who were raising issues mm. uh, with some of their compensation, etc. Even this one that the, 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 the fiscal framework is struggling to contain is what you get from all of these uh, taxes, etc. on it. If you do further cuts in these taxes, the argument so far has been that it would significantly limit your ability to deliver on the little that you are struggling to deliver on. So it's a cost and benefit uh, um, uh, uh, matter here. One of the things we need to focus on significantly, which I think very often we run away from, is going back to improve domestic resource mobilization. Because, Bernard, even this IMF uh, BOP thing that you are going for, even if it's concessional, in the end you need domestic resources to go and pay back. You, 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 let's talk about the fiscal issue. So you are talking about we don't pay enough taxes. Well, it depends on what kind of tax. Yes, our direct taxes are lower than average. Ghana's indirect taxes are very high and very, very comparable to all peers. That's point number one. Point number two. The kind of tax you push talks about your mindset toward the economy. You have not you you have not put in place the infrastructure to collect property tax as an example. You have not passed the tax exemptions bill into law, which a lot of people feel waste a lot of money for us. Property tax is a progressive tax. Yep. You've been in power for five years. So if you come around and tell me don't mobilize enough tax revenue, and yet you have done precious little about property tax, you haven't passed the tax exemption bill, you've been in two parliaments. That cannot be 
that cannot be the fault of the ordinary Ghanaian. Then you talk about spending. There are, uh, this sounds like a very, uh, may, may not be related, but what signal do you send to Ghanaians if you make payments for building a cathedral? Possibly outside budget, because we haven't seen the details of the line items in the budget. Within a period of difficult economic times. Yeah. How do you expect Ghanaians to come and understand it when you say you are making a trade-off between them paying uh, tax versus the, the, like getting revenue to develop and fuel prices and all of that? Your decisions seem to have worsened the plight of the Ghanaian. So let me speak to the issue of um, tax exemptions. The tax exemptions bill has not been worked on by finance committee. We're expecting the plenary to work on it and uh, to pass it. Mm-hmm. But some truth must be spoken about the tax exemption bill. When, as a country, traditionally your domestic resource mobilization is low, and consequently, you still have to do some projects. So let's say you go to African Development Bank and ask for $200 million mm. to do a Pokwasi interchange. Mm. And on top of that $200 million you have borrowed, you say you want to take taxes on it, then your cost of borrowing is going to go up higher. So when you then give an exemption on the taxes <clears throat> on the project for which you have borrowed, mm. somebody can look at it and say, oh, that's tax exemption. You've lost X amount of money. But actually, it's a plus and minus. It's the, the value is the, the same. The devil is in the detail. If you did not give that tax exemption, mm. the cost of the project and cons, you know, uh, consequently the cost of the loan mm. will be higher than your debt servicing obligations, etc. But it has been worked on. It's uh, past committee stage. We're expecting the plenary to work on it. Property taxes, for example, we found out that, listen, you need to have a more, uh, may I say, technology-supported approach. That is what is now being rolled out in collaboration with the Ghana Revenue Authority. It's been five years. I agree with anybody. No, I mean, I agree. We could have done better on, for example, putting property tax mechanisms in place earlier. But I think we should not run away from the fact that um, the revenue mobilization conversation in this country is one that we have all been shying away from. I'm not saying um, necessarily more taxes, but the compliance to the already existent, for example, direct taxes, it has taken us quite a while to now get national ID done so that you now sync it with your tax database and begin to re- realize who is in the Ghanaian economy, who is making money, who is not paying taxes, and who you can then engage to be able to bring some more taxes to the table. And I think no matter what we do, it is part of the conversation that we need to confront and confront head on. Because if we don't, we run away in circles for a very long time. Um, you had $18 billion, I'm talking. To, I'm still on fiscal. You had $18 billion for COVID. Yeah. For the past seven years, we haven't increased the amount we pay for LEAP. So the average LEAP family gets 32 CDs a month, yeah. which is one CD a day since 2015. You raised $18 billion, some of which came through an IMF program yep. or an IMF money we were entitled to $1 billion. Yeah. Still, your LEAP has not increased, which is possibly the most well-targeted. In fact, the World Bank says the LEAP is the best targeted... This is this is the World Bank's view, and we, we cannot argue with that. We yeah. can't, but not for here. Yeah. So, if you raise eighteen billion, you haven't touched, you haven't been increased lead by one peso, and you are spending money on things that many people consider necessary. How then do you come back and say that it's not your fault? Because I'm coming back to the fiscal issue. Let me deal with the. I'm coming back billion. to the fiscal issue. Let me deal with the eighteen billion. So, with respect, the eighteen billion that was raised, yeah, was not raised to increase leap. That's not what I'm saying. No, I'm saying, no, you kept... It was raised... I'm, kept, I'm, no, 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 you no, don't misconstrue no, me. No, no, I'm not. You the, kept 
Can I explain to you my understanding of what you've earlier? Earlier, you were telling me about your yes, understanding. So I, I, so let me so an example you, yeah, of I'm a social you. intervention program. Yes, but the uh, 18 billion that was raised yes. was not raised with the objective. So, what was it spent for? Well, it was spent on the COVID response program. The details, mm. I don't have them before me, but the finance minister outlined them in parliament, and the speaker has asked yeah. the joint committees of finance and health to go through the details. If by the time they are done with the details, you found anything there that is untoward or out of order, which, sure, which includes I'm sure, I'm sure people and all of that. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we yeah, can but, raise. But that. We can deal with that because I'm sure, I'm sure we can do that. So my, I just want to make the point. No, just hold on. My point. You have the question. Let me make the point. No, I just want to explain <laughs> that. My point is that if you have an emergency yeah. and you raise eighteen billion, yeah, you've spent it on spraying, cooking for people, and all of that. Medical bills of persons who were um, uh, affected by COVID, uh, infrastructure for some of the health institutions to help us to respond to COVID, etc., etc. All of that is part of it. I'm saying that as they go through the assessment of the numbers that have been provided by the finance minister, if we find anything untoward there, we can go after it. But it will not derogate from the. Listen, if you have, um, uh, uh, if you have, if you have a 400 billion CD problem. You need to raise revenue, let's say, of about 400 billion to be able to meet the obligations. And you are doing, what is it, 150. You can have about 150, and that's a fair conversation to have. And if anybody has misapplied, let's say, some 1 million, go after him. But Bernard, in all humility, it will not take away the fact that you need to come back and confront that uh, gap between the 150 and the 400. You can go for support, go for help, do a few things here, but you need to come back and confront that conversation about how do I move from 150 mm. to 400 so if, if I understand so you correctly, you're saying satisfy that my obligations. If you have a, a financing gap, irrespective of what happens, so let's assume you have a financing gap of 10 million. Yeah. That matter must be dealt with irrespective of what you spend the little you have on. Yes. Because the financing gap is the bigger problem. That is true. Yeah. But some would also say the way you manage the little you have that is true. will determine whether you will even get. That is true. Because we are the ones paying. That is very true. So if we feel you are mismanaging the little you get, that is very the true. impetus to pay more to fill the gap that will not is, come. That is very true. But those conversations, I say to you in all humility, must go side by side. Because in this country, we have adequate mechanisms for dealing with how that 150 has been used. I always make the point that, for example, you have a, you cannot procure without going through a procurement process established by law in this country. You have to make a justification at various levels before you procure. You need commencement certificates. Another mm. team of people have to see it to do their feasibility before they give you the right to procure. Mm. When you procure, there are processes for ensuring that you pay. Mm. When you are done with it, there's an auditor general who will come and audit and ensure that it's in line with what uh, should have taken place. If across this value chain anything has gone wrong, mm. there's a whole process no for problem. dealing with Can it. Can we do just a few? But I'm just saying, if I just okay, mean that, I'm just saying that mm. while that process exists, mm -hmm. let's not reduce the entire conversation to there's some five million in the 150 that I have a problem with. Therefore, I don't want to deal with moving from 150 to 400. Certainly, certainly when not. in reality we yeah. have to move to 400 to deal with that. That, that's a fair Go point. Ahead. But yeah, I, right. I still feel that because the citizenry must be involved in raising that revenue, the way government is perceived to spend money is very important is as a signal. That is true. Which is why I come to an, an issue like the cathedral. Yeah. How do you justify the amounts you spent on a cathedral at the time we did? This whole cathedral matter, I think, has generated a lot of public um, bruhaha. I have honestly asked for a full brief to understand um, 
why we paid what at what point in time. So as I sit before you this morning, I don't have a full brief to enable me to uh, speak to that matter. Mm-hmm. Our understanding initially is that um, it was supposed to be put together by the, uh, uh, what, the churches and the private sector with some seed support from the state. Mm. I don't have a full brief on uh, the details of how that has gone. So I'm not going to go into uh, that matter. The brief I have this morning, which is what I'm speaking to, is a broader conversation of how we are getting ourselves out of the uh, economic doldrums in which we find ourselves. The option the president has opened that we speak to the fund to get some uh, support in implementing our program and how we should look to ensuring that in implementing that program, we will do it in such a manner that it just doesn't get us out of our balance of payment quagmire in which we are today, mm-hmm. but it puts us in a situation where the major structural problems of the Ghanaian economy mm. can be dealt with moving forward. Help us with the poster government is taking to the meeting. And I'm asking this because I recall when we spoke in March, before Finance Minister came up with this announcement, we had the impression some of our social programs, which many people considered too expensive, were on the table for discussion. Yeah. Subsequently, when Minister came to Parliament, he says, no, we will not. He, if, in fact, he zeroed in on free SHS. says it will not be cancelled. At all. Yeah. But I, you are, so what's the, what, what is, with you going back to this conversation, IMF, is that still the position that free SHS is on the, it will not, it's off the table. So you see, when you say it's off the table, what do you mean? Is it up for discussion for Aha. streamlining? So up for discussion for streamlining will not mean cancelling. Okay. I think that sometimes words and concepts mm. and their understanding. People, mm. you know, when mm. you say, let's say, it mm. is fair to have a look or mm. to examine, I think mm. the word I used was to examine. Mm-hmm. People interpret it to mean that, mm. ah, it's going to be cut. Mm-hmm. That's not what we are saying. Mm. I have said, and I maintain, because it is what the president has said, mm-hmm. that you have to look at all your expenditure items and examine mm-hmm. which one can you still fully deliver but perhaps at a lower cost. So that's the Minister for Information and MP for Fasia Yerbe Kojo Pankroma speaking to Bernard Avle on the City Breakfast Show. That will be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sandamado. Production by Sixtus Don Ulo, Beverly, London and Anasido. The technical support from Daniel Squashi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night. <laughs>